Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to join the global Observe Me movement by requesting constructive feedback from your colleagues. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Robert Kaplinski. How many teachers do you know that say that they don't like public speaking or that the thought of doing improvisational theater scares the pants off of them? Yet, each day, the job that they do well involves speaking to anywhere from 20 to 120 students, depending on the grade, and they are constantly coming up with ideas on the spot. When pressed, these teachers would probably clarify, I don't like doing these things in front of adults. That reluctance to be observed, and why it's important we examine the systematic issues that make observation scary in the first place, is the topic of my conversation with Robert Kaplinski. As part of the Global Observe Me movement, he's thought a lot about what good observation looks like, how not to burden colleagues, how to navigate admin, and, most importantly, the power of helpful feedback. A quick note, this interview was recorded in September 2020, and I've held back on releasing it because although we talk a bit about pandemic teaching, it didn't feel like the right time. Now that the majority of schools are lifting mandates and disbanding cohorts, the possibility of asking a colleague to pop in your classroom for a few minutes is more realistic. So I'm glad to finally be able to share this with you. Also, I just wanted to let you know As April is Autism and Neurodiversity Awareness Month, I have a post on the Lesson Impossible blog with activities and links to help you celebrate neurodiversity in the ELL or Modern Foreign Language classroom. Good luck on your not-so-impossible lesson with Agent Robert Kaplinski. Awesome. Well, Robert, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you. And before we go too deep into the Observe Me movement and all that other fun stuff, if you don't mind just giving us a brief summary of who you are and your role in education. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I have been in education since 2003. I kind of fell into education and I was a classroom teacher, uh, taught math and science at a charter school for two years and then a classroom teacher of middle school math for another five or six years. And then became a secondary math teacher specialist in Downey Unified School District for eight more years. And I started also, while I was being a teacher specialist in Downey Unified, I started doing consulting. So that's a really fun opportunity to kind of work with teachers who want to learn and really discuss different techniques. And so I still, while I don't currently work for a school district, I still work in education supporting uh, primarily math teachers. I found you because I had a guest on the podcast, Joanna Castellano, and she was talking about teaching math through a conceptual-based instructional model, and you were one of her inspirations. That's so flattering. 
<laughs> Definitely, yeah. And she wanted to make sure that I shared a link to your website to your conceptual math lessons uh, with the listeners who were interested in this method. And so when I was checking out your website, it I have to say those math lessons look very real world applicable and pretty fun to do. But then I found the page about your involvement in the observe me or hashtag observe me movement. And I knew that I had to talk to you. So I was wondering if you don't mind just sharing what that is and what the inspiration for it was. Yeah. So let me just start by saying that one of the best times of my early career was that I got into other teachers' classrooms and I just learned so many great ideas of like, wow, that's a great idea. Why am I not doing that? I should do that. And, and some of it was like superficial stuff, like stuff they had on their wall. But there were like great classroom management techniques and uh, questioning strategies. And I was just like, this is brilliant. I can't wait to do it. And then somewhere along our careers, we lose track of that. Maybe there's just so much on our plate. Maybe it's that the idea of observation gets a little bit tainted by evaluation and observation becomes something that is done to you, not something that you do as like a personal choice. And I know that as a teacher specialist for eight years, I observed so many teachers. And I think that at a glance, you might think, wow, Robert is evaluating other teachers. But no, it was like the complete opposite. Like I got to learn from some of the most amazing teachers. Like I got paid to watch other teachers and learn from them. Uh, now, I, I, I did share what I know. And I got to kind of interact with them, but there's so much value to seeing what other teachers are doing. And there's so much value to others telling you about your own teaching. Uh, I did a lot of demo lessons, hundreds of demo lessons over my career. And teachers have told me lots of things I didn't see. Like, you know how as a teacher, uh, maybe you teach the, a lesson the first time and it's like, eh. And then you teach it the second time, and it's like slightly eh plus. <laughs> but by the fifth time you teach it, you're like, I'm a freaking rock star. Like, this is awesome. Definitely. I know that feeling. <laughs> right? And, and a lot of that is that you just haven't done it before. You don't have that practice. You don't have that experience. And so when I have other teachers observing me, it supercharges that process. And I get even more feedback. I mean, like, imagine how much better you would be if you had 10 sets of eyes and 10 sets of ears in every classroom. And, and I think that could feel intimidating, but can you just imagine the judgment is completely gone? It's like, it's you, it's your clones. No one's going to talk about you. No one's going to talk trash about you. It's really just, you have the ability to listen to every single conversation and observe every interaction. Like you would accelerate that growth. And the reality is that doesn't really happen anymore. Like you don't really see uh, I mean, it's a pandemic now, so it's a little bit different. But prior to the pandemic, it's it's kind of uncommon to see teachers voluntarily going into one another's classrooms to observe. And that's really where this Observe Me movement came from. I had seen uh, uh, a friend named Heather Cohn sharing a tweet about a sign that welcomed people in and asked for feedback in specific areas. And the tweet got many retweets and many likes. And I was thinking to myself, like, like, if you can take a step back, why the hell does anyone like this? Like, how did we get to a place in education where someone saying, hey, come check out what I'm doing is like the most remarkable thing ever? And it just made me think like, wow, we have really lost our way. 
And I simmered on that for a while. And I'm like, what if we could turn this into something? And, and I mean, I think everyone creates a hashtag and you don't know where it's going to go. But I, I decided to wait until the next start of the school year. And I asked people to make a sign, put the hashtag observe me, one word on it, and list you know, three things that they would like specific feedback on. And I think it's probably worth just quickly mentioning even what it looks like to ask for feedback, because I think an interesting tangent from this is that people are not good at asking for feedback because we kind of never do in any sort of way where we actually care about the feedback. So like if you say, I want feedback on student engagement, and now you're observing someone had to give them feedback on student engagement, like what the hell does that even look like? Like if everyone's sitting there with their hands clasped and smiling, is that student engagement? If you put the question, am I doing a good job on student engagement? Well, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Like say no, yes. Like that's not helpful versus how can I improve student engagement? Well, that's sort of a growth mindset view of it. Like it's however good you are now, I think I can get better. And can you give me feedback that would help me get better? And so I mean, this whole process we're rusty at, but the, 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 the summary is that it expanded far beyond anything I could ever imagine. Teachers all over the world of all different grade levels, like thousands and thousands of teachers were using these signs to welcome others in. And it really started, I think it, it, it struck a core with a lot of educators who realized that the smartest people that they could learn from are their colleagues and that somehow they lost their way and that just didn't happen anymore. When you talk about people's reluctance to be observed and it's how it's tied to evaluation, I can't, um, I'm originally from BC and that's where I was teaching. And in BC, after our first year of teaching, we don't get any more evaluations unless we go and ask the principal for them. And the principal's like, you want what now? (laughs) Um, And so even in that situation where there isn't that feeling of, evaluation, this feels like I'm being evaluated, there's still a huge reluctance to be observed because there's that fear of judgment from your colleagues. Yeah. And and I think it's really worth unpacking the psychology of that. So first off, going back to the administrator observing you, I think that we generally expect observations to be done in a hierarchical kind of manner where someone has the knowledge and power and then shares that with someone else versus the reality, which is, you know, the people who are in the classrooms teaching every day are the ones who really know what's going on. And like, I fundamentally believe that the group is always smarter than the smartest person in the group. Like, and if you disagree with me, I'll, I'll, I'll help you understand why I'm right and you're wrong right here. And, and I don't mean you, Aviva. I mean like the, the general person, like, because... Well, we have to go down that road. I mean, them fighting words. <laughs> if you take the best attributes of every teacher and put them together, you have a superhuman teacher. Like, how could that not be the case? So if you took every teacher's best ideas and you incorporated them, well, shit, like you're going to be way better than any one teacher could have possibly been. And that's the reality is that we have, we each hold so many bright ideas. You know, I've learned so much from my colleagues really around building classroom. I mean, honestly, I look back and I'm mortified by what a crappy teacher I was in the beginning. And, you know, I think I lectured because that's what I remembered happening to me in college and not realizing, wait, these are middle schoolers. That's not how you build a classroom culture. And I had to learn that by observing other teachers with the same students and realizing, 
what the heck am I doing? Like, this is not the way I wanted to be. And I'm just so grateful for being inspired by so many colleagues who are so much better than me. And if, if anyone thinks I'm good now, it's because I've taken the best attributes of all other teachers and I've tried to kind of build upon them. Yeah, I, I feel the same way with the podcast that, you know, I'm interviewing teachers from all around the world, very different subject matters and grade levels. And I learned so much from everyone. And although I do miss being in the classroom, I'm like, I'm going to be a better teacher when I go back because I had a chance to talk to, to these amazing teachers. And believe me, if I could teleport to where they were, I'd love to observe them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think really when you put it that way, you're going to have no one who's like, well, hell no, I don't want that. But then it, you start to, when you, when you start to do get pushback, you start to like, okay, let's unpack this and think about what this is. Uh, some pushback might be time. Like I don't have time for this. I've got to teach a class. And all the spoiler is all these issues are resolvable, right? Like you could, I mean, I think any principal who really thinks about this would realize this is a great opportunity for teachers to grow. Now, let me put aside, I don't know how anything works in life during a pandemic, but you know, you could hire a sub to do period coverage back in the day and each person could go observe somebody or shoot, the principal could go cover for that person. I, I think that those are options in terms of, I don't know how to observe. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting issue is people don't know how to observe. Like, I'll give you an example. You can't just go in there and be like, here are all the places you suck. Like, that will damage the relationship. And so you do have to have some idea of, like, John Gottman does this research on marriage and what factors make a marriage last or not. And you can generalize it to relationship building in general. And the, 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 the ratio that you should take out of it is this ratio of five to one, that for every critique, you need five positive things. Um, you can't be like, you suck and this is bad and this is bad and I like your posters. Like that's no one's that's not going to go anywhere. So the interesting thing then is that like sometimes when you're observing a teacher, you might be like one to five. Like here are five things I wish you would change and this and and you just can't. So then you got to really think either I've got to find a whole mess of things that are great or get really specific about which of these this teacher should start with. And I mean, there's just so many issues that are challenging now. Mind you, I've had. I don't know, eight years plus of observing teachers that I learned a lot. I was pretty crappy at first and now I get it more. And so I think that these are, there's a lot of reasons that it's challenging, but all of them are something you can overcome. Yeah. I wonder if part of that is our experience as student teachers, because it tends to be a short amount of time you're being observed and evaluated by someone from the university and then the teacher whose class that you're teaching and there tends to be really a lot of focus on what you can do to improve because as a student teacher, there's a lot that you need to do to improve. And there isn't always the time to, I don't want to say sugarcoat it, but there, I, I feel like depending on the student teacher, sometimes you're really struggling maybe to even to find those good points. And so when we see someone in our classroom, it's a flashback to probably what for many people was the most stressful part of their careers. I know my student teaching was. So there's this like negative connotation versus that celebration of observation. Like, I can't wait to get your feedback because I respect you. 
or I'm really worried about X and I'm so glad there's someone here to help me. Yeah, I think I think there is some trauma that is associated with observations. I think that well, let's just be silly here. All right, you could again, this is back in the days of I mean, I guess in Zoom now, I mean, in virtual, right? You could literally record all your lessons and then watch all your lessons and then figure out what you want to do differently. Um, that's really freaking time consuming and pretty unrealistic. Uh, you could set up video cameras in a regular, you know, in-person classroom and it's the same drama. So having someone there, it kind of makes it so that you prioritize. I mean, they're essentially filtering what's important and what's not. And they're giving you that information pretty close to, you know, when you need it. And so it's like a superhuman video camera that gives you what you need to know. But part of that then is that you need to have a trusting relationship and it needs to be a relationship of equals, of peers, of colleagues, not of a hierarchical one person possesses the power and the knowledge and the other is inferior and has to receive all that. That's That maybe is what happens with, say, student teaching. It's not what's meant to happen in this kind of observation. Um, it should never be done. I mean, I would almost say unless you have that kind of relationship with your principal, I don't think you need to have it from an administrator. Um, the only real upside of the minute, I mean, you know, a lot of times administrators haven't, let's be real, like they haven't been in the classroom teaching in a while or they maybe didn't teach your topic. I mean, I'm pretty knowledgeable in math ed. Dude, I, I, I do a pretty crappy observation in, say, English or social studies or some other topics. So, like, uh, I think knowing what – I can probably give more general ideas, maybe questioning strategies, things like that. But I think that, yeah, there's a lot of trauma to unpack, a lot of conversations even about why we're doing this observation and what our goals are supposed to be like and how do we – like even things like what is the role of the, of the observer? Like say you're in a classroom, you're observing someone who told you what they want feedback on and now they're off task or they're throwing papers at each other whenever the teacher turns around. What do you do? I would make the case you do absolutely nothing. Um, I, I basically make the case that you are a human video camera and if you intervene, you taint the experiment. It's an experiment. You're trying to just capture data to provide feedback. If you stop it now... You don't really know what is the teacher and what is you in terms of how things go. And those are not things that people intuitively know. You have to kind of come to this realization of, hey, this is what's happening. This is why we're doing this. This is what's going to happen. The interesting thing is that my assumption has always been that if an observer is there, it might disrupt the classroom or the kids might, you know, behave differently because they're being observed. But in my experience, it's been like absolutely untrue. Like I was part of a professional development group uh, with the uh, amazing Faye Brownlee and I was teaching a lesson and there was literally 15 other adults like crammed around the room on the side observing and the kids acted no better or worse. Like those adults faded into the wallpaper. Couldn't be more clear how little teenagers think about people over 18. <laughs> um, they were just like, yeah, I guess there's some human wallpaper here today. Do to do to do, um, which really surprised me. Cause I'm like, if we assume one person is going to change things like won't 15, but nope. 
Yeah, it's not my intention to say there won't be any change, but it, it, I think that students are really quick to understand what the rules of engagement are and that you're not going to say anything. And um, I also wouldn't recommend, like personally, I never like stand up and sit in the back of the classroom because you can't hear those conversations. I also, I mean, the rule of thumb is be a human video camera. And so the two parts of that are one, video cameras can't move and two, uh, video cameras can't interact. Now, the move part is actually a subtle but really important difference. Let me explain what I mean. When you are walking around the room, you have a very good 30,000-foot view of what's happening, but you have very little understanding of what's happening with any one group. And the issue there is the teacher probably already has a pretty good 30,000-foot view but doesn't understand what's happening at the actual lesson level. So, for example, you, if you were walking around the class, you might see like some kids are just getting started and then you come back to both groups and now they're done. But you won't know that one group was collaboratively working and the other group, everyone was just following what the other kids said and copying down what that person said to write down. And I, I, so I strongly recommend just staying put, knowing that you won't hear everything, but you will have a deep understanding of a chunk of the class. We've covered some of the hesitancy that people might have around asking someone to observe them. And I would add sometimes my, my hesitancy, my first thought was I'm asking a lot of my colleagues because the only time they could possibly observe me was when they're not teaching because they have some prep time and I feel bad taking that prep time away from them. Um, and there's ways around that, including like leaving little thank you Starbucks cards on their desk um, and institutional ways to change that. Like you said, having administrators cover or having substitutes cover various blocks throughout the day. But I, I think even bigger than that is, like you alluded to, changing the entire culture of how we think about being colleagues because I think, and this is especially true in my experience in a secondary school, but even sometimes in elementary schools, we are the teachers of Division 5 or of French 12 in our little offices, which are our classrooms. And so our colleagues are working by us and beside us, but they're not working with us. And I think there has been a movement towards more collaboration, but I think we have a lot to go before we even think about observation as something that is part of our collegial duty, if you will. Yeah. And I, I would, I guess maybe one potential bright side, if you're looking for just a small way to enter into observe me is if you're teaching virtually and you record your entire lesson, let's say like it's on zoom, you could just say, you know, upload it somewhere where someone can see it, like YouTube or um, Vimeo, uh, and just make it private or unlisted so that no one can see it that you do not want to. Then what you could do is just say, hey, friend or hey, colleague, I would really like feedback on this one part of my lesson. Could you look at the part from 2 minutes and 14 seconds to 2 minutes and 57 seconds and let me know, like, how could I have done a better job of introducing topic XYZ? And I think that's a really low cost way of doing it because they don't have to say the whole time you're really specific about what you want feedback on 
and it starts to open that gate to, I mean, honestly, it's like almost like dating. It's like, you've got to, you know, you don't know, you got to feel each other out. Like if I share this, is that teacher just going to make fun of me and tell all the other teachers how bad I am? Or uh, will she give me feedback that's actually good? Or is she going to be just really unhelpful and be like, great job, you're amazing. And that's not helping anybody. So I think that there, there needs to be little like small points to just get on the same page with other colleagues. I like your idea of being very, not only targeted in what you're asking for, but targeted in the time, like in an in-person class or a virtual class saying, do you mind just watching me as I'm introducing, or I'm having a really hard time with transitions after lunch and getting the kids to calm down. Do you mind just hanging out for 10 minutes so that you can give me feedback on that? Uh, which could then build up to a bigger feedback model if you establish a positive relationship. Oh, I mean, I, I, I very much remember my first year of teaching at Downey Unified School District, and I had, there was this cohort of kids, and uh, they were awful in my class, absolutely awful. And then I heard that they were better in another teacher's class. And I went to that teacher's class and they were freaking amazing. And I realized it's not that they're awful. It's that I'm a crappy teacher and I'm treating them in such a way that they want to rebel and it has nothing to do with them. And it's everything to do with me. And I realized in that moment, I need to learn a lot more. And this is a great person to learn from. And I just think to myself, like, what if I didn't have that opportunity to observe? Or what if I didn't take that opportunity to observe? I would still be thinking it's all them when it was really all me. And I think that just we need more of those opportunities. So with the hashtag observe me, what were some of the feedback that you got from the participants, what they learned or how they changed things maybe? Yeah, I, I have actually a page called troubleshooting observe me where I've kind of collected the biggest issues. Um, let me kind of say some of the bigger categories. Uh, one of them is that the feedback that you're getting is like niceties and kind of useless, like great job or uh, yes, you know, like all those kinds of things and nothing you can actually do because, I mean, th can you think about that? That would be the crappiest thing that happened, that you would work so hard, make yourself vulnerable, get them to come, and then you leave with just, yes, you did a good job. Like, well, that, that didn't actually help me at all. So that's actually a sign that it's an issue with the way you wrote your goals. Like if you're just saying, I want feedback on student engagement or am I doing a good job on student engagement? Well, that's not really helpful to the learner. So like are students explaining themselves in full sentences or, you know, sometimes that are, how can not are, how can I better help students explain themselves in full sentences? Uh, the spoiler is basically beginning with a how or a why often makes it so that, um, their response will be more elaborate. Another thing I got was um, I put up my sign, but no one's coming to observe me. And that's pretty common, right? But like, I think for a lot of teachers, so you might put your observe me sign just out your room, but I don't know that everyone's going to know what that is or who that's for or why you're doing it. You know, are, are you wanting people to observe you because you think you're such a great teacher and you're just showing off? Are you wanting to people to observe you because you think all your colleagues suck? Like, I think that there's unclear intentions and you have to kind of do more to clear it. I think also part of that is like, if I say, Hey, let's hang out sometime. You kind of know we're never actually going to hang out. It's like, 
I'm saying that, but it's not going to happen. But if I say, hey, what are you doing on you know, November 15th? Can we hang out at 3 p.m.? Well, that's either going to be a yes or a no, but it's not going to be a nothing. And when you say everyone, hey, anyone who wants to come by, when you say that, it really means no one. So specifically target someone you have a relationship with that you trust and be like, hey, it would mean, I mean, you don't have to give like false platitudes, but like you could say like, hey, I have seen so many amazing things in your class. I would love to do the same things in mine, but I think I need more perspective. I would really love it if you came by and kind of gave me some feedback on what I'm doing. Like who the hell doesn't like that? And especially if it's true, that's great. So I think those are two of the biggest implementation issues. I think also you should check in with your administration. Sometimes, let's see, how do I choose my words carefully here? Some administrators may perceive it as usurping their authority and like coming up with your own observation protocol. Um, I would at least get the tell your administrator what your plan is, what your intention is, and, and get their blessing. I think most administrators will be like, hell yeah, it's a great idea, but it's probably better to, you know, CYA. I think having something like a global movement, like the hashtag is really helpful in that regard, because instead of being like, hi, I'm just putting up a sign, they can direct people to your website or to Twitter to see other examples. And it's like, oh, I'm part of a global movement instead of, hi, everybody, I'm the nail that's sticking up way higher than all the other nails. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame that that is the case, but yes. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about the hashtag Observe Me. If people wanted to find out more about what you offer, I know you have math lessons on your site and do workshops. How could they get in contact and what are some upcoming things for you? Uh, you can learn more about Observe Me by just searching for uh, Observe Me on Google, and it'll take you to uh, my blog. But also, if you search for Observe Me on Twitter and really other social media platforms, you'll see a lot of signs there as well. Uh, my website is robertkaplinsky.com, and it's K-A-P-L-I-N-S-K-Y. And one other thing I guess I would just say people should check out, especially during this pandemic time, but just in general, is if you're trying to figure out what professional development is supposed to look like, especially in a time when traveling is not so fun and being in person is not so practical, um, there's a workshop, a website I'm involved with called Grassroots Workshops, and it's got a lot of different professional development options that uh, I've been really involved in and I'm really excited to share with other educators. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, chatting with me. This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. Lesson Impossible is proud to be one of the many amazing school rubric podcasts. Links to resources or people we mentioned and information in general about the podcast can be found at lessonimpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.